This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast Session Number 44, Part 2 with Jonathan Chase. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. As you last joined us, we spent some good time with Jonathan Chase from over in the UK discussing his background in hypnosis, his approach to both stage as well as the client change process, as well as a very interesting theatrical background getting into this in terms of the mindset of how we approach hypnosis. Part two is going to be fascinating to you, I know, as he details this project that he's a part of all about producing a theatrical play, not just a stage show, but a play which at one point brings hypnotized volunteers into the performance. It's a fascinating chat. I want to jump right in. This is part two with Jonathan Chase. Make sure you head over to worksmarthypnosis.com. I'm going to put in the show notes for this episode, as well as the previous one, some videos, some links, just a lot of cool information to check out. Part two with Jonathan Chase. Tell me a little bit more about this project you've got with the festival coming up. Well, it's an idea that's been sort of in the back of my head for a long, long time. As you know, I'm quite well known for saying that hypnosis is much more of an art than it is a science. You've only got to look at the difference between, say, somebody like Gil Boyne and Milton Erickson and see that they both got absolutely fabulous results in entirely different approaches. Yes. So, you know, and you've got to think, well, yeah, okay, hang on a minute. The hypnosis worked, but why can't other people get what Ericsson got? Well, they weren't Ericsson, and Ericsson was Mr. Personality on sticks, literally, um, <laughs> for most of his life. And well, I'd say we even have that in our modern era. There are, oh, good Lord. There, there are people who are training techniques. And yet they're not getting results because of their techniques. They're getting results because of the atmosphere that they create. They're getting results because of the energy they bring to the room. The techniques are definitely viable, yet there's so much more that's going on beyond, say, these words. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's like I went on a friend's uh, stage hypnosis course and I said to him, I said, do you know what was missing? He said, what? I said, you didn't tell him how to prepare. He said, what? I said, you told them how to walk out on stage, you told them the words to say and everything like that, but you didn't tell them what they've got to do inside here, inside their heads, for five minutes before they go out there, you know, and go out as a hypnotist rather than going out just as themselves who does hypnosis because that's... Mm, who's struggling to remember the words. Yeah, yeah, and it's usually quite boring as well because then you end up with virtual masturbation, you know. Anyway, <laughs> the marvellous magical mesmerist. A lot of people don't know my private life. And I am really into science fiction. I've been into steampunk for many years and the steampunk culture. I used to do hypnosis training with alternative lifestyle groups, BDSM and that sort of thing, groups. And that sort of went on to the cosplay stuff because it's very, very similar with that sexual element. And to be honest, I was happier about losing the sexual element because some of the things I was thinking of doing was just going too far. So for me on a personal level, you know, and 
On Second Life, I've been running a theatre on Second Life, which is a virtual world, for a couple of three years now and doing lots of theatre stuff. Most people don't know that I wrote, directed and wrote the songs for a, a comedy musical that was done at the Prince of Wales Theatre you know, and stuff like that. I have a theatrical background. That's where I come from. And I've been messing around with an idea of mixing the art of hypnosis with the art of theatre for a long time. Now, what you get in comedy hypnosis is you get a demonstration of hypnosis that's done in a humorous way. You get the odd comedy hypnotist like Anthony Coles, like Ken Webster, who are actually funny themselves. They could go into a comedy club and get a stand innovation with or without the hypnosis. Yeah? Yes. Terry Stokes is another one that is funny besides the hypnosis. The show would work even without the hypnosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Darren Brown does mostly, although he's known as a hypnotist in this country, does 99% of what he does is magic mentalism. Yes. But then I came across a guy called Rob in Vancouver and Harlequin Hypnosis, who do a steampunk style show just twice a year. They do a steampunk style show, and it's a little bit like Rocky Horror. You come dressed up. You come as part of the entertainment for the evening, not just the audience. And they're very much into the steampunky thing. And I was talking to Rob and I said, I've been thinking of doing a play. Now, you don't actually do a play, do you? He said, no, we don't do a play. He said, we do a themed show. They're doing a styled hypnosis show as opposed to a play, which is also featuring hypnosis, which is what's unique here, right? Yeah. Well, what's unique here, as far as we can tell, is we are writing the piece as a five-character play, yeah? Six, because I'm cameoing in it. I just roll on and roll off every now and again. We're writing it as a play, and then what we're going to do is to pick three people from the audience, hypnotize them, and turn them into the characters. Now, although, obviously... We're responsible for what goes in. We're not generally responsible for what comes out. So their part of it will be reactionary and impromptu. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the characters, you'll understand this, but let's explain it to the listener. An aside is when a character in a play or a piece steps through the fourth wall. That's the imaginary wall between the stage and the audience. An aside is when you look directly at the audience and talk to them. So apart from asides to explain what's happening, um, hopefully in a funny way, (laughs) it's a play. And everything that the main characters on stage are saying has been scripted, it's been rehearsed. It will happen exactly the same tomorrow. So although those three characters are included, they're actually impromptu actors who have volunteered to come out of the audience and to enhance and help them get into the role very, very quickly and to enhance their natural acting capabilities, we're going to bang them under and tell them to be good. That's never been done before. And if we can meld the two arts together... What we're hoping for, sincerely and deeply, is hoping that, you know, we're looking at the art of stage hypnotism in an entirely different way from just 
putting people in situations of ridicule. Now, I'm using the word ridicule in, in, in an entirely different way from the way that most hypnotherapists use. Oh, you're ridiculing those people. No, we're not putting them on a podium and saying, look how stupid this person is. Look at the clothes they're wearing. We're not ridiculing. But what every stage hypnotist does is brings people up into stage and puts them into ridiculous situations to see how they respond. Yeah, I'd agree. I had a moment with a client recently that was kind of a hobbyist hypnotist that pointed out something that I hadn't really thought of in that format before, that he goes, I really like this category of building conviction and hypnosis through hypnotic phenomenon. He goes, but it disturbs me how everything or most everything filters through, try to do this and you cannot. And in the stage environment, you're now in this, quote, sticky situation, now react to it. So, yeah, I, I hear you on that word ridicule. While it may not be the expectation of ridicule that most of us would bring to it, we're not putting people, for the most part, into this, you're this amazing scenario. We're putting them into a awkward scenario, and it's the humor that's coming out of how they respond to it. Absolutely. So how do we build better empowerment? And I can see that this experiment with putting in the context of a play where people are being showcased of here's what they can now accomplish. What we're hoping for is that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously, we're going to get a situation over five nights in Edinburgh. We're going to get a situation where somebody isn't very good. So then we've got to, no matter how hypnotized they are, <laughs> so then we've got to decide what to do in that situation. But Edinburgh, the fact that we've applied for an Arts Council grant, if we get that, and we'll know in a few weeks' time, if we get the Arts Council grant for this piece, it will be the first stage hypnosis show of any kind whatsoever at all to get an Arts Council sanction that this is art, yeah? That's fantastic. And for me, that's mega. Yes. Because I've always said, you know, it's an art. And I do resent, I'm quite open about this, I do resent a hypnotherapist who's learned to do hypnosis, has learned to stick somebody's hand to the table, and then goes out and starts doing stage shows. I resent the fact that they've done no apprenticeship in how to develop a show, how to perform a show. You know, this happens to me all the time, Jason. I'll say... I did this on a friend's group on Facebook. I won't mention the group. You're probably aware of it. But I said, right, I put up one of my routines and I said, there's two reasons for me doing this one particular thing. Why did I do it? And everybody said the usual stuff, how to test them, how to do this, how to do that. And it was all about the hypnotist point of view and what you wanted from the people on stage. Not one of them said to give the audience something interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Because actually putting in a suggestion is boring. And not one of them mentioned the audience. Now, that's because you don't have these in America, but you probably, with some of the country and Western style bars, you, you have something similar. But in the, the United Kingdom, back in the 80s and 90s, we had a phenomenon called working men's clubs. They were either called working men's clubs, they were called social clubs, or they were welfare clubs, the ones that I used to work mostly because I came from a coal mining town, was miners' welfare clubs. So you were going there on a Friday and a Saturday night, you'd be in front of a couple of hundred people, half of which had been in a hole in the ground for seven, for six days before they saw you, and they're all sitting there with their arms folded and saying, go on then, entertain us, make us laugh. And that teaches you very, very quickly 
the art of presenting stage hypnosis is not to prove hypnosis, not to have a great time for yourself, although hopefully that's a benefit for it, you know, not to give the people, who, just the people who come up on stage a whale of a time, but it's to entertain an audience that's actually paid to be in there. And I think it's such an insult to the people who are paid to come in that they're not the first consideration. Well, to go back to, you mentioned Anthony Coles, you mentioned Kid Webster, uh, Terry Stokes, the, the, they're getting the laughter from the audience in the suggestion before the volunteers, before the people on stage are actually doing the thing. And the program has to work without the volunteers as well, in my opinion. Oh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Do you know, here's a good tip. If any stage hypnotist or newbie wannabe stage hypnotist are out there, I always judge a stage hypnotist this way. If I'm talking to somebody in a, in a cafe or a pub or something like that, and I'll say, right, go on then, tell me your best routine. And if they say, oh, it's the carrots, what, you, well, just give them carrots to smoke and, and they smoke carrots, you know. <laughs> Actually, that's my routine, I wrote that. And it's been copied dozens of times, and I hate every single person that's ever done it. I burn in hell. How do you really feel? <laughs> you, can't, you can't stop them, but that doesn't mean you've got to like them. But I judge it this way. If you're talking about your routine, doesn't make me laugh because you created the picture inside my head so well mm. I can see it happening. Then when you do it on stage you're going to get a mixed reaction because you can't create the picture inside the hypnotized people's heads of what's going to happen. And I always judge comedy stage hypnotists by, can you make me laugh? Can you tell me? Now, I'm quite happy from this interview because I haven't heard you cough once and I've heard you laugh several times. I've got a mute button for the call. So. <laughs> the, laughing, the laughing is genuine. <laughs> but, but can you understand me? From an entertainment point of view, if you can't make the interviewer smile and giggle a little bit, then how are you going to make an audience do that? Well, you make an audience do that by putting them in, an, in the embarrassment laughter situation, which is what I see a lot of, especially in the American phenomena of high school hypnosis. Now, we don't get that in the United Kingdom because it's actually illegal to hypnotize mm -hmm. anybody publicly under the age of 18, which I think is right because I think that kids are way too susceptible to hypnosis and you can screw somebody's head up. I'm not bothered what anybody says. Of course you can. If you can get rid of a phobia, you must be able to give somebody a phobia, you know, and set one up. And we don't know. I don't think it's happened, but it's a potential it's a possibility yeah yeah and in the high school phenomena what you get is you get the audience are having a whale of a time and laughing their heads off because they're just looking at their friends being stupid yeah now to be quite frank i know although i've never done a high school audience i've done a vegas audience but i've never done a high school audience but i know that i could come out there going to a high school audience hypnotize nobody and they would walk out after an hour drenched because they've been laughing so hard because all i've got to do is get their friends on stage and make them look foolish i haven't actually got to do a hypnosis i haven't got to do a show do you understand me yeah, I'd say that the programs that I do over here for high schools, the phrase that I comfortably stand behind is that the, the pre-talk structure, what I would say on stage, that's really more for the people who are paying for the program. 
That's for the administration. That's for the parents. That's for the faculty. If you can't work with that age range, you are doing something so horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I, I can think to an experience, I forget who it was, and I pulled back the name anyway, because it's a criticism, but it's a video that I saw that was someone doing a stage induction for a group of high schoolers, and it was doing the moment of, you know, the last phase of a Dave Elman induction, the losing of the numbers, and he was doing it one by one down the row of people to verify they were hypnotized. Meanwhile, 10 minutes later... <laughs> the audience is the phrase is the audience is trancing out, not the way that you want them to. So the program has to be entertaining. The program also has to be appropriate. It has to be a match for those people who are in front of you. I once did um, a charity fundraiser and the agent rang me up and he said, it's a very small group, John. That's why I rang you. Um, <laughs> he said, it's a very small group, 25 people, and we're in a restaurant. There's no performing area. I said, right. No problem. So we went in there, and from standing in the corner of the room, I hypnotised everybody that I got. I got about, I got about five or six people, and they were all on different tables, and I just hypnotised them at the table, and and did it all with, with no contact with them whatsoever at all. And my approach was certainly way way different to what I would have done, say, in an army base or a university. And the reason for my approach being so different is that every single person in there was a multimillionaire and the table prices were £15,000. That was for a fundraiser. I won't go into what it was for, but it was, it was something stand-up, you know. It wasn't. <laughs> but there was a certain expectation that what they were going to get was going to be funny, it was going to be classy. It would be near the knuckle, but it wouldn't be the knuckle. And... The thing that gets me a lot with stage hypnosis training is the assumption that one show will do and you can just do the same show everywhere. You can, but one style won't do. One style of presentation won't do. And it's sort of like, as we've been scripting the mechanical mesmerist, there's a lot of things that we've had to take into account. Now, number one is that our lead actor, Paul Henschel, has got cerebral palsy and uses an electric wheelchair. So the first thing we have to do is plan on him not actually running over anybody's feet mm -hmm. because that could be quite painful. And knowing Paul, he would do that to see what reaction he gets. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Paul's a trained thespian, and um, being an XSM, you know what those are like. Mm -hmm. So everything's got to be done right, and the script's got to be right, and the timing's got to be right, and everything like that, you know. And then there's me, who's very much an ad-libber, and then there's um, Anna, who is probably more scriptified than Paul, in that the script has got to say what she's got to say in the right way, like most thespians. But then again, the audience expectation is going to be different because they're coming along to see a play with hypnotised people in it rather than to see hypnotised people playing. Well, it's a similar formula to what we've already talked about, that the, the, sta the stage hypnosis show still has to work as a show, and the play still has to work as a play that also now happens to have the hypnosis element. Don't you find that a lot of the time the word show is misinterpreted? Mm -hmm. I'm show business. Like I said, I learned 
my trade in the working men, in the working men's club and the comedy circuits in the old days when when comedy was funny and wasn't all political like Disney. But the word showbiz, you know, and, and the idea of show business was entertaining, something that you wouldn't get anywhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I see now with the street hypnosis and the street magic and the street stuff like that, and I know I'm terribly old-fashioned and I'm, I'm terribly old. I'm in my sixth decade. You know, I'm looking at it. But what's happening in the business is we're getting unremarkable and unrememberable people. Not doing a show, they're just doing a demo. And they're doing a demo with a word that I've always hated. It comes from Vaudeville, and that's skit. And skit sounds a little bit too close to what I see a lot of. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you mentioned back to someone like Darren Brown, who also is employing magic and mentalism. It's the difference between the technician and the artist. The technician is just demonstrating the skill. If it's the card magician, here's this amazing piece of sleight of hand, which you could just kind of sit back and like a machine go, okay, that machine works really well, as opposed to, oh, wait, they're supposed to be presenting magic. It's supposed to come across as if a magical experience and... You're right, there's been a trend away from that. I think as well, one thing that the internet has opened up that we never had before. I mean, when I started as a stage hypnotist in this country, in the whole of the United Kingdom, but remember that that there was probably then only about 47 million of us, you know, about the population of Texas, something like that. But there might have been a dozen stage hypnotists and only six or seven of those were actually full-time. But what the internet has done... Uh, sadly, I think, has opened it up now to everybody that can do hypnosis, is doing hypnosis, and is showing people that they're doing hypnosis. I mean, you know, now Sarah Graves, because from a professional point of view, I, it makes me smile because I know I can do better. And a lot of people think, oh, you're an arrogant bastard. No, I'm just confident. There's a big difference. I always say the confident person will tell you how good they are. An arrogant person tells you how bad you are. And (laughs) you can look at it from that point of view. But the other point of view is that, as we know, expectation is is hugely important in hypnosis, certainly in stage hypnosis. And I think what's happened over the last decade or so is that the expectation has actually dropped in as much as that's why audience numbers drop, you know. And, and please, the number of Americans that will say to me, oh, I went out, there was 3,000 kids in this hall. Yeah, how many kids are in the school? 3,000, big deal. If you'd have said to me there was 10,000 people in the hall and there's only 2,000 kids in the school, I'd be impressed. But don't try and impress me with all the kids wanted to come to something that's on a school. Of course they did. But they were all there for the last football match <laughs> you know they were all there for the last hockey game they were all there for the last basket apart from people who weren't interested that don't count because there's only six of those and it's that lowering of expectation the same thing's happened in magic in magic i know for a fact the usa is exactly the same as britain is that only one in 20 magicians have ever done a show for money of any kind whatsoever at all even part-time a much, much smaller degree are actually earning a living from it. 
But what's happened with the internet is that it's opened up people who don't earn a living from it to demonstrate the level of their capabilities. And I don't know about you, but I find it rather hard as a professional to watch these people and when they come on the groups and everything, you know, and they're saying, oh, aren't I wonderful? I've just done this. I'm going, it's not very good. Well, I tell you what, Jonathan, I promised you 30 minutes. We've gone for an hour. <laughs> what would be the, uh, the parting advice for these people as a, as a next step to improve themselves? Oh. Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> I see so many people who shouldn't be doing it, doing it. But the people who come on my course, they say, right, okay, what have I got to do to get there? And the first thing you've got to do is work bloody hard. It doesn't drop in your lap. Yes. And you need luck. That's location, understanding, contacts, and knowledge. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. You've got to understand why you're there and have a plan for why you're there. You've got to know the right people who can do things that you can't, who can put you in places you can't possibly get yourself. And then you've got to have the knowledge. You've got to have what they want. And you've got to be able to do it really, really well. And stop thinking that, hey, this is just fun. It's a career. It's hard work as well. And you should treat it as your job, not just as something you do on the side. And then you get better. Then you hone your skills. Then you're thinking about it all the time. You know, I've just come from rejigging websites and looking at copy on websites and that before talking to you. And when I go from this, I'm going back to writing a script. And I say to stage hypnotists who are coming into the business all the time, show me a script. And well, I haven't got one. Right, okay, so you're just going to do some routines? Oh, yeah, I'll do some skits. Notice I call them routines because I think they should run one off the other. So what I would say, if you really, really want to improve, and if you want to help us who are in the business improve the business so that the art which is in danger of becoming doesn't just become something that you only see in high school. And people say, why don't you see much, much hypnosis on the television? And that's because television is up close and it doesn't tell any lies. So if you're going to be on television, you've got to be somebody like Darren Brown. And that requires a lot of hard work, dedication and skill. So if you're prepared to put those in and you chase people enough, somebody might decide to mentor you. But if they turn around and say to you, look, OK, I'll mentor you for a year. Give me 20 grand pay them. It's worth every penny. Because if they're that confident that they're going to give you that amount of value, you're going to get that amount of value. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, I'll put over on worksmarthypnosis.com. I've taken note of several links here, the video promoting this project that you're working on, the Indiegogo page, the tickets page, as well as your own personal website as well. I'd love to point out, this is the first time you and I have ever chatted. Yes. Yeah. This has been phenomenal. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. Hey, it's Jason Lynette with one last quick thing. We can work on improving your skills in hypnosis uh, in terms of how to get change, how to get your volunteers animated if it's a stage production. Yet one of the most underlooked components of the hypnosis business is simply 
that itself, the hypnosis business. And I've got a free resource that I'm excited to share with you. I call it the 10-Day Hypnosis Business Challenge. It's 10 days of emails, 10 days of videos, 10 days of specific action steps, all designed to help you to grow your business. Head over to worksmarthypnosis.com and click the button on the side for the 10-Day Hypnosis Business Challenge. Share your email and get started in growing your hypnosis business to the next level today.